Joel 2, chapter, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men's servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Now, beloved people of God, today we look at these last five verses of Joel chapter 2 under the title, Dreaming Dreams and Seeing Visions. And in this passage, we see that the Lord promises the confirmation of signs and wonders. The Lord promises the confirmation of signs and wonders. Now, this passage is significant with regard to several controversial matters. For one thing, this is what we call an apocalyptic portion of Scripture. There was using all of these very uh, interesting uh, figures of speech, talking about all kinds of things in the heavens and blood and smoke and so forth. That's what we call an apocalyptic type of scripture, much like what we had been seeing in the book of Revelation. So that's one thing. How do we interpret that? Secondly, it also... Uh, touches upon the question of the charismatic gifts and um, it also touches on the question of who should preach in terms of the church that is to say now that the church has been established does what if anything does this passage have to tell us with regard to that Now, here we have in this text the blessing which God provides then for his covenant people. And indeed, the confirmation of that, as we're saying, in terms of signs and wonders. Now, last week, as we looked at verses 18 through 27 of Joel 2, we saw the promise of restoration, the promise of restoration with regard to the, the, what the locust those gnawing, munching, chewing, creepy, crawly locusts were doing. And uh, so the, the promise of restoration from that, and of course also then the promise of the Lord's presence. So, and not simply then the physical, although that is certainly true, but also it's the whole idea here, it's the whole idea of the spiritual blessing that comes. And so the promise of restoration and then the promise most particularly of the Lord's presence. Verse 26, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Verse 27, then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. The promise of the Lord's presence we saw that 
historically, in terms of like the glory cloud as the people of Israel were coming out of Egypt and uh, coming into the, uh, to cross the Red Sea, and also as they were on that journey and uh, towards the Promised Land, um, but also it's it's a particular way that it's applied in terms of the incarnation of Jesus, that Jesus is in our midst. Jesus said, "Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world." Of course, he is from his place in heaven, but also the whole point here is that he is the one who took on human flesh so he was he took up residence among his people and so we find then the promise of the Lord's presence and now we come today to this promise of signs and wonders the promise of signs and wonders and here we see in verse 28 the pouring out the we might say the effusion, the, the pouring out, the overflowing pouring out of the Holy Spirit. If you look back in Isaiah chapter uh, 44, if you look back in Isaiah chapter 44, and verses 3 through 5, Isaiah 44, we read, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and floods on the dry ground, I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the water courses. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. And so there we find the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Of course, what sacrament symbolizes that? It is that of baptism, the pouring out, even as the water is poured out, so it is a symbol of the Spirit being poured out upon the children of God. And so God here says, I will pour my Spirit on your descendants, my blessing on your offspring. Verse 28 now, We find this passage, by the way, these five verses, quoted on the day of Pentecost, which is also very interesting, isn't it? Occurring on the day of Pentecost, as we read today from Acts chapter 2. Because it was on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was poured out and came upon the people. And that what was, that's what was being fulfilled here, or in, in Acts chapter 2. So it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit, but notice on whom the spirit is being poured out. Back in Isaiah 44, it was my blessing on your offspring. It was in terms of, of the children of Israel. But do you notice what this is now saying? What God is now saying is, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That is to say, not just on the Jews, but also on the Gentiles. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. 
The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. At the very end of the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 66, verse 23, we read, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. So first of all, what is striking to us here is the fact that God is going to pour out his spirit not simply on the Jews, not simply on the Israelites, but on all people, Gentiles as well as Jews. And of course, also by saying all flesh, he's also saying all kinds of people. All kinds of people. We live in a world with a lot of different kinds of people, in case you hadn't noticed. All kinds of people, as well as all ethnicities, but all types of individuals. And so that's what is being indicated here. Poured out on all flesh. This is a revelation, if you will. And of course, God, in this context then, is going to say, this is something special that I am doing. This is something unique that I am doing. This is this mystery of the gospel that Paul refers to. Well, not only that, not only on all flesh, but notice your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So we know about male prophets, but there are also female prophets occasionally in the Bible. We read about this, uh, for example, in Acts 21, verse 9. Now, this man uh, had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And it's a direct reference, of course, back here to Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Um, I think there are nine prophetesses specifically named in the Bible. We think of Miriam, for example, who was a prophetess. We think of Anna. Remember, who was in the temple, who was a prophetess, and so forth. And so, there's something unique going on here, okay? This is unusual. There's something unique. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. So, the old men, the ones with experience, yet past their prime. We have some young men in this uh, in this congregation here today who have a lot of a lot of energy, a lot of strength, are able to work construction and that type of thing. I don't want to do that anymore. I've never done that, I don't think. But anyway, um, but I certainly wouldn't have the strength to do that today. So I'm past my prime physically. Um, I wouldn't run cross-country anymore. I was never very good at it, but I certainly wouldn't do that anymore. Walking, I can, you know, sometimes do that. But the point is that even though they're past their prime physically, they have experience, they have knowledge, and so forth. And so your old men shall dream dreams. 
your young men, why they're strong and yet perhaps not as experienced, certainly not as mature as you would think of an old man. But whether old or young, God is saying, I'm going to do something special here. What about, notice also, on, also on my men servants and on my maid servants. Servants and handmaids. Now, if you look at 1 Corinthians, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and uh, verses 24 and following. 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1, verses 24 and following. Paul says, but to those who are called, by the way, that issue of that, that notion of calling, of course, we're going to look at that at the end of the sermon. But to those who are called, let's say effectually called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. We certainly see that in uh, academia today, shall we say. Amen. A lot more common sense in this, in this small congregation than in uh, many, among many faculties. Um, many uh, professors in schools, shall we say. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, the so-called wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base or insignificant or lowly things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And then look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 21. 1 that each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you are made free, rather use it. Verse 22, for he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave, and so forth. And so as we go back then to Joel chapter 2, you see what the prophet is saying here. The, the men's servants and the main servants, on my men servants, God's men servants, my maid servants, the lowly, the ones that aren't thought of very highly by the world, on them, you see, God is going to pour out a blessing. And notice also then that this is, this language is being used to emphasize, as it were, um, this we, we could say a contrast between Old and New Testament. That is to say, uh, in terms of, for example, all flesh, okay, all flesh, all peoples, 
In the Old Testament, you wouldn't have that. You have a few people, a few proselytes coming into Israel and, and so forth. But now what you have is the Spirit being poured out, as it were, worldwide, so that all peoples, all people groups, all our ethnicities are going to be affected by the Holy Spirit. And so this, then, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit affects everyone. Well, as we come back then to Joel 2, what are the activities then? First of all, prophecy. First of all, prophecy. Now, this is perhaps an allusion to Numbers uh, chapter 11. May all God's people be prophets, right? But prophecy here must refer, in this context, to a supernatural revelation and declaration thereof. So God is saying then that in this, in what is happening now with this new thing that is coming in terms of the establishment of that at the day of Pentecost, that's the fulfillment, prophecy then refers to the supernatural revelation and the declaration thereof. Before scripture is complete, before the New Testament is written, we have this supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, notice the, also the dreams and the visions. God, of course, historically, from time to time, would communicate through these means. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. Chapter 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So the coming of Christ, you see, is the the final revelation of God. And the, the New Testament then is bearing witness to that final revelation that God is giving in his Son. But God historically has spoken through dreams and through visions. We can think of any number of instances in which God spoke through dreams. And then thirdly, in terms of activities, not just prophecy and dreams and visions, but also wonders in the heavens and in the earth. So we find here in verse 30, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And the sun turned into darkness. This is quite possibly a reference to the crucifixion of Christ. You remember when from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness over the earth. So the sun turned into darkness, the moon turned into blood, blood red moon. So these are wonders then in the heavens and the earth. And notice also is that these things are related to the great and terrible day of the Lord. So these things will happen before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, verse 31. What is that day? My friends, it will be a day of deliverance for God's people. 
but it will also be a day of judgment and terror for those who do not know the Lord. So both things are true at the same time. It will be a day of, of deliverance for those who are God's people. It will be a day of judgment and terror for those who do not know the Lord. Now, in the first instance then, the fulfillment of this, the fulfillment of this, we can see in the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. We can see that kind, that kind of apocalyptic language used with regard to the destruction of the temple at, in Jerusalem in A.D. 70, which, by the way, marked the final um, turning away by God uh, you know, from the uh, from the old economy, the destruction of the temple, and now, of course, the full manifestation of the church as the people of God. And so in the first instance, this was referring to the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 and the horrible events with regard to that. But the fullness of this great day is pointing well beyond A.D. 70. It is pointing to the final day of judgment. It is pointing to the, the culmination, the consummation of all things. That is the ultimate, great, and awesome day of the Lord in which his people will be delivered but will be a day of judgment and terror for those who do not know the Lord. Well, this promise of signs and wonders includes a calling. Actually, it's it's a twofold calling. Notice the in verse 32, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so in the first instance then, it talks about our calling upon the name of the Lord. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But notice also, why is it that we call upon the name of the Lord? It's because it is the Lord who calls. You see that? The very end of verse 32. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So we are called upon to call upon the Lord, and yet we are given the grace to do so, the ability to do so, because ultimately it is the Lord who has called us. So you have calling in two different senses. So when it says here, those who have been called by the Lord, this refers to God's grace, to divine grace. So as you and I look at our lives, we say, well, yeah, we, we believe in God, we love God, that's great. But as John reminds us, we love God because he first loved us. And therefore, we cannot, even in our calling upon the Lord, take any credit whatsoever. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. And so those who have been called by the Lord, this refers to the fact that salvation is first and foremost and always and forever and to the nth degree from beginning to end 
a manifestation of and the power of the grace of God. But notice also the concept here of a remnant. Among the remnant whom the Lord calls. A remnant. That which is left over. Now one of the things we recognize from this is that not everyone who professes faith in Christ shall be saved. Not everyone who professes faith in Christ shall be saved. Because people can profess faith in a hypocritical way. And we have a warning here against hypocrisy. Is this not what Jesus said? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of God. No, my friends, it is only those whom the Lord effectually calls. But those whom he effectually calls, the remnant if you will, shall be saved. Now I have two points of application, two points of of application today, and the first is this. We need to learn how to deal with these various uh, with these uh, various um, miraculous manifestations. We need to know how to deal with these various miraculous manifestations. Because in Scripture, when we see these, we recognize that they are part and parcel of God's revelation. But my friends, if we have a complete Bible, if we have a complete Bible, and we believe that the Word of God alone should govern us, we believe that revelation therefore has ceased, and these also, at least in that term, in that, in that uh, regard, must also have ceased. We recognize that uh, one of my professors, Dr. Richard Gaffin, who dealt with this, he talked about the temporary nature of the apostles. We don't have any apostles today, obviously. We also recognize the foundational character of the apostolic witness testifying as a foundation in terms of the church as a whole. And also we recognize the foundational character, therefore, of prophecy. And so therefore we need to be careful in terms of just taking wholesale from here and just applying it to today. These event, or these, these manifestations are tied in with the particular events surrounding God's judgment against Jerusalem. They are tied in with the particular events surrounding God's judgment against Jerusalem, including this this language, this apocalyptic language that we find, for example, in Matthew chapter 24. So if you look at Matthew 24, just for a second, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus clearly says, answering, the, answering two questions of the apostles, and the first question is, um, first question is, when will these things be? That is to say, when will the temple be destroyed? And so Jesus gives that answer. And he saw, for example, verse 5, 
for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ will deceive many you will hear of wars and rumors of wars see that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom there will be famines pestilences and earthquakes in various places all these are the beginning of sorrows and so you have this type of of uh, apocalyptic uh, language uh, that is being used even in terms of the destruction of Jerusalem. <clears throat> but notice also in terms of these miraculous manifestations then, if in point of fact they are miraculous and temporary, if they are, if, if that is the terms of prophecy, is the turning upside down of the normal order of things. Did you notice here? It says, it says, for example, not only uh, not uh, that among others, that your young men shall see visions, right? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. But we don't usually think of, we don't usually think of child preachers, do we? You wouldn't want a child in the pulpit. I don't think so. You wouldn't want a five-year-old. You wouldn't want a 12-year-old in the pulpit. And the point of the language that is being used here is to point to something unusual, something that is earth-shattering, something that is earth-changing, the turning upside down of the normal order. And therefore, if we look at, for example, child preachers, where, where would we determine whether that is a normal thing? We go to scripture and we see that it is a man who has a certain measure of maturity who is the one who is called to be a preacher. So first of all then, learn how to deal with the miraculous manifestations, even the ones that are referred to here in Joel chapter 2. They are intended to get your attention God is saying, I'm turning the world upside down. I am, I am uh, upsetting the normal. I'm upsetting the normal expectations in order to make sure that you know that I am the one who is doing this and bringing about a new thing. But secondly, secondly, be sure then, be sure to call upon the name of the Lord. This, of course, is how we are delivered. We're delivered from our enemies, to be sure, as we read in the Psalms, in Psalm perhaps 27 and 28 and 31 and so forth. We are delivered from our enemies, and we are delivered from punishment for our sin as well. We're delivered from God's wrath. This is how we are delivered. We call upon the name of the Lord. So, Call upon the name of the Lord. And as you do so, do so with knowledge and understanding. Do so with understanding who Jesus is and what your need is of a Savior. There are a lot of people who talk about Jesus today and have no clue in terms of what he actually came to do. And sometimes even twist and distort what he came to do. So do so with knowledge and understanding. Call upon him in faith, trusting in his atoning sacrifice at the cross. Call upon him as you trust in him, as you put your, your life in his hands, as you trust in him. 
Call upon Him. Call upon Him in love as you desire Him. This goes right back to the whole idea of hypocrisy and how we need to examine ourselves and make sure that we have not grown cold in our love to make sure that we are in the faith. Call upon Him in love as you desire Him. Call upon Him with a repentance that comes along with that faith. And do so with full recognition of and gratitude for the grace of God, knowing that if you have the grace to call upon Him, it is only because it is the Lord who calls the remnant. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? And Father, we do pray for thy, um, uh, this message to be applied to our hearts. We pray, Lord, for thy grace to be manifest in our lives, in the life of everyone here. We thank thee, Father, for... um, for the manifestation of thy power and thy wonder in judgment, but also, Lord, in salvation. So we thank that at the same time as the great day of the Lord will be a day of terror to thine enemies, at the same time it will be a day of rejoicing as we are caught up with Jesus in the air. And so, Father, we pray for the hastening of that day. As we look around us, Father, at this tired old world in sickness, in rebellion against Thee, Lord, we pray with the saints in every age, even come, Lord Jesus, and come quickly. And so bless this message to our hearts, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.